Thanks for tuning in to the Crew at UGA podcast. We are so glad to have you with us. Crew exists to call students to know God, grow in their faith, and go to the world. If you would like to get more connected with Crew at UGA, or if we can help you in any way at all, go to the show notes and click on the link, or follow us on Instagram at Crew at UGA. All right, let's get started. We are back. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight is a very special night. Do you know why? Because tonight, ladies and gentlemen, is the very first crew of being a two-time football national champion. That's exactly right. Somebody had to say it. Somebody had to get the wolves going. So I'm glad, it, I'm glad it was me. All right. So here's the thing. It's our first night of a new semester it's really the first night of our new year, 2023. And, you know, we were getting together tonight, and we're just like, you know what we want to do? We just want to talk about the heart of things. Let's just go kind of straight to the foundation. Let's talk about the heart of who we are, what we're doing, why we're here, kind of remind ourselves coming out of break, oh, yeah, this is what we're about. And so we're going to lift up the Lord tonight, and we're going to talk about a couple of things. And we're going to spend some time in what is one of my new favorite passages that I have... Um, you know, you read a passage sometimes, and, and you kind of go over it, and then later you come back to it, and you just kind of realize, wow, why did I miss that? I've just kind of been dwelling in this passage for the past couple of months, and I just can't get over it. I just think it's the greatest. And so we're going to talk about it tonight, because I've been enjoying it so much. Now, if you're new here, and you haven't been at Crew, or maybe you're kind of new to this whole ministry thing, and a friend brought you, and, and you're just kind of and you're just kind of like weirded out by all those songs we just sang, it's Okay. Thank you for coming. We think this is a great place for you. But one of the things we like to do is, is because we follow Jesus, um, we think the Bible is really important. We like to open it. We think God reveals himself through it and tells us about himself and how to live our lives. And so on Tuesday nights, we will come here and we will talk about that. And we're going to do that tonight. And we're going to look at a part um, that is in the old part of the Bible called the Old Testament. And we're just going to see what it has to say to us, and we're just going to listen to it and reflect on it a little bit. So we invite you to do that with us. Let me pray. God, show yourself tonight, because if you show yourself, we will be full of joy, because we cannot look at you without being full of joy. And so I pray that's what you do with your word tonight. Amen. So here's what we're reading. It's going to be on the screen behind my head. If you brought a Bible and you want to turn to it, it's Psalm 142, verses 2 through 5. Um, but here it is on the screen. And this is what it says. It says, Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the people of Zion be glad in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with tambourine and harp. For the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with salvation. Let the saints rejoice in this honor and sing for joy on their beds. And that's the paragraph that we're going to dwell in tonight. Now, I want you to look at this just for a second. Now, there's a word kind of hiding in there that's kind of a churchy word. It's in verse 4, and it's the word salvation. The Lord takes the lightness people. He crowns the humble with salvation. Now, that, like I say, that's, that's an old churchy word. And this has been around for a long time. You know, we've talked about that in churches throughout the the ages, and you know, long before we were here, there was the Salvation Army, and that was just kind of a mainstay, and it just comes from this idea, salvation, kind of this, this religious word. What is that exactly? 
So a lot of you know that salvation is just this idea of what happens to us when we come to know God. And as the word salvation implies, there's a rescue aspect to it, right? If I were to give you kind of a biblical definition of salvation, you could hardly do better than this paragraph, which is out of the New Testament. Let's put that passage from Colossians up there. And in Colossians 1, it says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Once you were alienated from God, and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. So there it is. That's kind of a definition of salvation. We who were far away have been brought near. We who were evil and rebellious and sinful and shaking our fist at God and going our own way and our arrogance have been forgiven. And all the wrongs we've done have been justly paid for and we have been restored, right? That's the idea. All of this is perfectly true and, and it must be understood. And you know what? For a lot of Christians, for a lot of us, that's kind of where we stop. Okay, got it, salvation, I get it. Jesus paid for my sins, I'm reconciled to God. And that's just kind of where we go, right? Here's the surprising thing. That is not what Psalm 149 says. Now, I'm, I am trying to get your attention, but don't be too alarmed. I'm not saying Psalm 149 like, says something contradicting that. What I'm saying is Psalm 149 says something completely different, but it still talks about this idea of salvation. Look again at this, this 149, this Psalm 149 passage. Look at some of the words that get used in this. Rejoice. Glad. It means happy. Dancing. Delight. Singing. It's a great collection of words, isn't it? Rejoicing, happiness, singing, dancing. That's how this psalm describes this idea of salvation. And that's kind of my point. If there was one thing that I would hope we would walk away with tonight from spending some time together and opening this book together, it would be this. Salvation at its heart is a delight-filled relationship with a fantastic heavenly father. I'm going to say it again because I just really like that sentence I made up. Salvation is a delight-filled relationship with a fantastic heavenly father. Now, why do we delight in God? Why should we delight in God? The answer actually is pretty simple. The reason that we delight in God is because God is delightful. In other words, there's so many excellencies about him that when we see him, when we encounter him, when we experience him, when we come to know him, we can't help but delight in him. You know, another psalm, the psalmist says, um, as for God, his ways are perfect, right? Um, another psalm says, when I awake, I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. It's just this idea of what really satisfies my heart, just seeing God, just, just knowing him. If we really came face to face with him, we couldn't help but delight in him because he's so delightful. 
But Psalm 149 gives us another reason to delight in God that we don't really talk about that much. And I think that's one of the reasons I have really been enjoying this passage. And that reason is stated in verse 4. Now look at it with me. And it says this, For the Lord takes delight in his people. For the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with salvation. How does that hit you? Stop and think about that for a second. Did you hear what that sentence just said? The Lord takes delight in his people. That's you and me, if we know him through Christ. Do you ever think about that, that the Lord takes delight in you? I don't know why this is so hard for our generation, but I just encounter this all the time. Um, Here's a true story. Summer 2021, I, in my work with crew, um, we leave here in the summer and we go do various things. And one of the things I have often done is I have gone to help lead a training for new overseas missionaries. And that's because I lived overseas myself for a long time and did that. And um, I was doing this training, but you know, this is post-COVID. We're not quite all the way out of COVID. And so the decision was made that this training was going to be virtual, that awful, hateful word that makes us shudder whenever we hear it now. And, you know, we were doing the virtual call thing. We were all on Zoom with like 40 people. And, um, and so I had to go through this little training on how to communicate well online so it wouldn't be boring. And they said, you've got to use all these little pictures and you've got to use these features and kind of keep people interested. And every five minutes you have to make them do something. So I was like, okay. So at one point I decided I'm going to use the whiteboard feature on Zoom and just let people write on the screen or type on the screen kind of anonymously. And I was talking about this subject, and I put the question on the screen, how does God feel about you? Now, I had done this training before, so I knew what was coming. But I think something about just seeing it like start to appear on the screen was just kind of visceral. Um, and I, I don't think I'll ever forget it. There's this silence that happens for a minute, as people think, and then one brave soul types... He tolerates me. And then another type the same thing. He tolerates me. And then another person uh, wrote the word disappointed. And then another disappointed. And this has kind of happened. And finally somebody wrote, I'm not sure he ever thinks of me. And I'm sitting here watching this happen on the screen. You have to understand, this is not high school youth group, right? This is a group of committed Jesus-following missionaries that are sacrificing to go overseas. And this is their response. And I would be lying if I told you this was the exception. I have found this to be true almost everywhere I go. When I say, how does God feel about you? This is the kind of answer I get. Now, I don't know how you would answer that question if I asked you to, like, write it on a whiteboard. But I'm willing to bet there are a number of you in the room that those answers actually resonated with you because you would probably type the same thing. Why is that? How does God feel about you? Let me tell you how God feels about you. I'm going to show you some of the things that he says. Here's one. 
There's a couple of passages. The first one's from 1 Samuel. That's in the Old Testament. And in this story, Samuel is one of the leaders of Israel, and the people, they kind of get arrogant and rebel against God by saying, we want a king. We want to be like all the other countries that have a king. And finally, God says, fine, I'll give you a king. And then later they repent, and they realize, oh, we had God as our king. Why are we demanding a king? And they come to Samuel, who's a prophet, and they say, please talk to the Lord for us. We've, We've done this evil. And And Samuel says this interesting thing to them. He says, you have done this great evil. And then he says this, but for the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. If you want a New Testament version of this statement, this is said by Jesus in Luke 12, 32. He basically says the same thing. He says, don't be afraid, little flock. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Pleased. Isn't that a great word? You know what pleased means? What is pleased? It means happy. It means, means he likes it, right? Many of you were pleased last night when the dogs won 65 to 7, right? You were maybe even more pleased when that Ohio State kicker shanked that kick a week before. Right? You were exceptionally pleased at that. You, know, you liked it, right? You were excited about it. You were pleased. That's what that says. God is pleased to have us as his people. You know, I sit down with students a lot, and I, and I, and I get this question, and maybe some of you ask this. You say, you say, I know God loves me, but I wonder sometimes, does he like me? What does that say? Yes, he likes you. He's pleased to have us as his people. That means he likes it. He likes us being his people. Of course he likes you. How about this one? Here's another one. This is from the book of Isaiah. It says, fear not, you will not be ashamed. Do not be confounded, for you will not be disgraced. You will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. This is a great statement. For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. Your maker is your husband. Do you get what that's saying? Your maker, your creator, the God of the universe who is over all things, who's completely transcendent, who is completely different from us, is also our husband. In other words, that most intimate love relationship, a spouse. He's completely transcendent and completely personal at the same time. That's an amazing thought. Do you know that the God of the universe who seems so far away is actually as close to you as the closest person you'll ever be with in your life, your spouse? That's amazing. How about this one? Here's another one. <clears throat> you shall no more be termed forsaken. Your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, my delight is in her. And your land married. For the Lord delights in you and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. How would you like to be named, my delight is in her? That's your name. That's the Hebrew word, Hepzibah. I wanted to name my daughter Hepzibah, but I was afraid she'd be teased in elementary school too much, so I did not. She's very thankful. But I honestly wanted, I mean, it means my delight is in her. Her father's delight is in her. That's what God says over us. My delight is in her. That's his people. And you know, it's astounding how often in the Bible, God uses marriage as an illustration of his relationship with us, the church, the bride of Christ, all that. But this is a great one because it says right here, as a young man marries a woman, 
you will have the experience of being married. In other words, you'll be that close with me. As a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Now, I'm a campus minister. I get to do a lot of weddings, right? Um, And I love performing weddings. And I get to attend a lot of weddings, and I love attending a lot of weddings. And that day is coming for you. Save your money. There are many expensive bridesmaids' dresses you will have to buy. I get to go to a lot of weddings, and you know what happens at a Western wedding, of course. The bride is the star of the wedding, right? The groom kind of meanders up front and just kind of stands there. But the bride, the doors open and the bride comes flowing into the room in her voluminous white dress. And then what does everybody do? Everybody stands and looks at the bride, right? I like to look at the groom at that moment. Is there anybody like that? Do you guys, any of you do that too at a wedding? I like to look at the groom because often, here's what you see. When that bride comes down the aisle, the groom loses it, right? He either gets this goofy smile on his face or tears. I've seen tears come down the groom's face with just this idea of, oh, I've waited so long to marry you. Please, can we do this? It's just, there's this rejoicing of finally I get to be with my bride and I can't believe she's so beautiful and here she comes. And he's just losing it. And I just love that, right? Do you know God feels that way about you? As a groom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. There's one more up there, I think. It's this one. Do I have one more? Can we go to the next one? Maybe there's not one more. I could go up. I could do 20. I could go on all night about this. Because the point is this. In verse 4 of Psalm 149, the Lord says... The Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with salvation. And we have to understand salvation is a delight-filled relationship with a fantastic heavenly father. That's how he feels about you and me. Now, we do need to understand this. When When we focus on this teaching, what this is not saying is, well, we like God because he likes us right? In other words, we make much of God because he makes much of me. And so as long as, like, I'm the center of his universe, he can be the center of mine. That's not at all what this is saying. What this is saying is we make much of God and delight in God because he is such a God, because he's this kind of God. What other person could love like this? Who could love like someone who did not consider heaven something to be grasped, but came down and died in our place for us? How can you love like that? God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. The fact that God would love a evil, rebellious people like us that way, that makes him delightful. And he delights in us. Now, what is the response? The response is what Psalm 149 says. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the people of Zion be glad in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing. Do you see? God delights in us. Do you know how you should feel about that? You should be happy. You should do the happy dance. You should praise his name with dancing. You should be up dancing about this right now. Everybody should be in the aisles dancing, but we don't do that here, right? We just, it's kind of like that, right? And what does it say? They should sing for joy on their beds. Have you ever laid down in bed at night and say, 
I can't believe God loves me this way. This is amazing. And just start singing. Okay, I don't do that, I admit. But I mean, that's the idea, right? It's just it's like, there are times that I'm just so excited about God's love and delight that I get to share and that I just sing. Well, I mean, we all do that. We did that tonight, right? We're going to do it again in a few minutes. But it's this idea of God delights in us. And the natural response to that is for us to delight in him back. That's what this psalm is saying. How could we not do that? Hence my point. Salvation is a delight-filled relationship with a fantastic heavenly father. He delights in us, and we delight in him. That's what salvation is. It's a relationship, and it's a relationship of joy and fullness. You know, we talk about the doctrine side of it often, that yes, there's a reconciliation, and justice was satisfied, and atonement, and all of that. But at its heart, what we have in salvation is we have God, a delight-filled relationship with a fantastic Heavenly Father. Let me, uh, let me speak a little application on that. If we see that that is true clearly, you know, I guess there's a couple groups of people always in the room that we're speaking to. For some of you, you may be new, and you may have never heard anything like this before, and you may also kind of be new to this, the whole spiritual thing, or you're just here because you're asking questions or came with a friend. And you're welcome here. We love it that you're here. We think this is a great place for you. You don't have to be in the same place on your spiritual journey as everybody sitting around you because no one else is. And so this is a great place for you to come and ask those questions. But you may have never heard religion talked about this way. You know, in this, in this secularizing world that we live in, so much of the mainstream media just describes religion or faith in terms of some sociological phenomenon, like it's just this curious behavior that people do. But this is saying there's so much more than that, that there is actually a delight-filled relationship that we can experience. And you may be saying, well, I, I don't know God like that. You may be right. You, you may not. Because in order to have that delight-filled relationship, we have to have the reconciliation. That means in order to have that delight-filled intimacy with God, we've got to lay ourselves before Jesus and say, I give up. I need a Savior. I can't, I can't be righteous myself. I can't do it myself. And it's when we come to Christ through faith that we enter into that delight-filled relationship. You can't have it without it because we're alienated, because we're separated, like we read. But you can have it by Jesus. And we would love to talk with you about that more. Um, you could talk to the friend who brought you tonight. Or you have that card that's sitting on your chair. Fill that out. Let us know you're new. Um, there's a little box on there that says kind of new to the whole God thing, but wouldn't mind having a conversation. Just check that box. We'll send you a text. We'll grab lunch. We'll just have a conversation about it. We'd love to hear what you think. Now, you know, there's another group of people here, and that's like all, all my beloved crew students that are here, and we're regulars, right? And, you know, I'm looking around this room, and I'm just seeing so many involved people that just do so much, and I just love you guys to death, and I have missed you a ton. And I'm just so thankful for all the efforts and the, the things that you do. Um, you know, I just feel like for us who are believers in Christ, there's a couple of really important applications from this that we should remember as we start this semester. Number one is, y'all, I know you have anxiety. People talk about it a lot and we feel it a lot. And it is kind of a hallmark of the, the age we live in. But think about this. 
You have something to speak back to your anxiety. The God of the universe who made everything and us loves and delights in you, thinks of you. How many are your thoughts toward me, O God, and how vast the sum of them were? I had to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand, says the psalm. Thinks of you all the time, and he delights in you and loves you. Do you think God is just going to let your life spin out of control on you when he delights in you that much? He who spared not his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him freely give us all things, as it says in Romans? Don't you know that promise is ours? God is for us. You can speak that back to your anxiety. God of the universe is in your corner, right? He's with you. You can talk back to that worry. That's one application that you might want to consider. And here's another one. Um, and this is probably a good reminder for us to start semester two, just to kind of end things up. <clears throat> Look, we're a crew, and we do a lot of stuff, right? And we know we do a lot of stuff. And that's because we love Jesus. And we want people to know him, and we want to know him better. And so at crew, we are always coming up with more and more stuff that you guys can do. And some of you... You're just leaders, and you're so great, and you do so much. But we're always telling you, hey, we've got this retreat coming up. Or, hey, let's learn how to share our faith at this training. Or join this community group. Or go on this summer mission, because you should. And you should. All of you should go on summer mission. It'll change your life. Go. But we have all these things that we want you to do, right? And eventually, sometimes we can get so busy, and, and you can pour out so much that we just kind of get programmatic about it. There's just this idea of, okay, I've got to go do this crew thing, or I've got to go do my ministry thing, or I've got I've to you know, share with my friend, because it's a gotta. I've got to do this, I've got to do this. <clears throat> and we kind of forget that actually those things are a response to a delight-filled relationship with a fantastic Heavenly Father. The reason we do all those things, it's not, it's not to make God like you. He already likes you. It's not to meet some standard. It's not to make the staff like you. It's not to make your small group leader like you. It's not to make you feel good about yourself because you achieved some standard. We do those things because if we delight in God and he delights in us and we're experiencing all this delight, you can't help but overflow that. That's why there were 5,000 people on Broad Street last night because they were so delighted about the dogs winning a national championship, they couldn't help but go like run around in the street. It's just a natural response. And I think the application would be, that's how we should be, not running around in the street. We should be a, a people who, who serves and does ministry and wants to speak out our faith and wants to be a blessing to others out of an overflow of a delight and a fantastic Heavenly Father. And if that's not you, we invite you to become that. And it's not that you need more discipline in your life, it's that you need more delight. We need to see God more clearly face-to-face -to, -face to cultivate that delight. Look, I admit, I don't feel it every hour of every day. There are a lot of days I, I'm not swimming in delight, right? Discipline and duty is necessary sometimes, but we want to cultivate this delight so that everything we do is a response out of it. That's our heart. That's what we want for you. That's what we want for us. So, next week, we're going to be starting a series. And the name of this series is called God is Good. 
And we're going to talk about the Lord, and we're also going to talk about our response to the Lord. It's like, if we have a relationship with God, how do we then live? What should we do? How does that govern our choices, whether it be a moral choice or a spiritual choice or um, you know, an opinion we should have about something? And it's all going to be based on the idea, well, who is this God we're following, and what is he like? And if we see him clearly face-to-face, we'll find he's delightful. And our response to that will also be a response out of delight. And that's our hope. So I want to see you here next week, and we're going to start into that. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, you really are delightful, and we praise you and thank you. Lord, thank you so much that you delight in us, a people who are not delightful. That you delight in us, even with our sin, with our rebellion. Lord, with our arrogance, with the ways that we try to commandeer our own life and don't listen to you. Lord Jesus, you brought us back to the Father so we can have this delight-filled relationship. Lord, thank you that you are for us, that your eyes are on us. Lord, we praise you and we worship you because you are a delightful God. Oh God, help us to cultivate that relationship of delight with you and make us a delight-filled people. Um, and, and Lord, make us a delight-filled people even as we worship in these next few songs because we want to sing toward you, not because everybody else is doing it or because it's just what we do on Tuesdays, but because you really are worth singing about, as that psalm said. Amen.